Can I accidentally curse or no? You can curse purposefully, uh, yes. accidentally, <laughs> as much as you want. Absolutely. This is Van Color. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, we are going out of province for our guest today. I am joined by a seasoned entrepreneur, business coach, a keynote speaker, and a mom. She founded and bootstrapped two very successful businesses from the ground up, Vivian's Decor and Designs, a wedding decor company, and Kinky Curl Yaki, a leading manufacturer of natural hair extensions, clip-ins, and wigs. On top of that, she now shares her story internationally while helping others achieve their goals. She's been featured in the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail. She is the entrepreneur expert on TV's City Line, Canada's longest-running morning show with Tracy Moore. She's all about mindfulness, positivity, and all that good stuff, but she's a lot more than just buzzwords. She is the real deal. She's an Instagram superstar. You can find her at It's Vivian K. She's here all the way from Toronto via the magic of Zoom. She is Vivian K. Vivian, how are you? Oh my gosh, I am awesome. How are you? I am so good. It is such an honor to be able to chat with you today. You're one of those guests that I know listeners will absolutely fall in love with if they're not already in love with you. <laughs> What's not to love? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> well, my, and I have to tell you this, my girlfriend has been on my ass to get you on the show. And it's funny because I was actually introduced to your work, not by her directly, but by a shirt that she was wearing. And the sweatshirt said, what would Chad do? So I want you to explain it to me. Who is Chad? What is the Chad mindset? Why be like Chad? Why should I do things that Chad's doing? Uh, well, first of all, Chad is not a specific person. Okay. He, it's, not, it's not meant to bash men. It's not meant to diminish anyone's accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Chad is a mood. It's an energy. It's an attitude. And like you said, a mindset. So what would Chad do is meant to help you to immediately dismiss any self-limiting beliefs that pop into your head, right? Okay. And especially as women and especially, uh, you know, women of color, and I'm even sure men of color, you know, you know, there's that one white guy that, you know, who talks first in the meetings. He's not afraid to make the ask. Mm. He's that guy whose confidence overrides everyone else's qualifications simply because he has the audacity Right. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't question if he's qualified, but we oftentimes do. Right. right. He moves fearlessly from risk to risk to ri from risk, from risk to risk to risk. <laughs> and, you know, as you know, a, a woman of color, you know, we were taught, no, you cannot risk. But Chad's not afraid to do that. So whenever I find myself questioning my qualifications or not feeling, you know, that imposter syndrome creeping in, mm. I stop and I ask myself, what would Chad do? And then I do that. 
except you know i don't be a jerk about it like chad can be but um but yeah i just i use it to simply Im- help me to immediately dismiss those those self-limiting beliefs that pop up and they've had studies and this is of course generally speaking but in general they've had studies where men will look at a job description and even though they don't meet all the qualifications they'll generally think oh i can do that whereas women are more yeah. likely to question oh, well, I don't meet this one qualification, so I'm not qualified for that job. So that is a phenomenon, right? Generally speaking, of course. Yes, of course. Yes, absolutely. Well, I I love that. And, you know, we've seen in this space, this women's empowerment, particularly women's empowerment in business space, that's exploded over the last 10, 20 years, a lot of different trends. And on this podcast, particularly in an episode with Dr. Amanda Watson, We were quite critical of Sheryl Sandberg, who is the chief operating officer of Facebook. And so she made a ton of money selling a book, telling women to lean in. And then in 2018, Michelle Obama, the first lady, told a packed arena of fans that that lean in shit doesn't work all the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that kind of changed people's mindset, right? And and right. since then, people have like revisited that dogma as being too myopic or maybe only geared towards, again, generally white women of privilege and not even taking into account things like motherhood. And I think that shift put this whole space into a very critical lens on the material of women's self-help, empowerment, entrepreneurship for creating impossible expectations for many women. So I want to ask you, from your vantage point, does lean in, boss babe, inspo culture put too much pressure on women, particularly mothers, without acknowledging systemic inequities of race or class or even parenthood? Absolutely. <laughs> like the whole culture just denies the reality of, of women like myself mm-hmm. who don't have the privilege of coming from, you know, a wealthy two parent family with two, you know, with good connections and marrying well. Like mm-hmm. I have two parents, don't get me wrong, but I'm an immigrant. Right. right. Uh, on top of that, I'm a black woman. Sure. Right. So but all these boss babes turning around saying you could be just like me. But Cheryl, can I? Can I, Cheryl? Really? <laughs> Or are you just really just trying to empower women who look like you, right? And that's that's my problem mm-hmm. with this whole boss babe thing is that, first of all, it was all started in like that MLM world. So all those people selling Avon and LuLuRoe and all that, that pyramid stuff, right? Because right. that whole phrase was meant to prey on stay-at-home moms who were either bored in the house uh, or had like uh, limited employment options or were just struggling to make ends meet, hmm. right? But the only way... That the, the people at the top of those pyramids could get rich was profiting off the people that they sucked in. And guess who those people who they're sucking in were? Stay-at-home moms or right. moms who single mothers, right? The people who who, you know, that single mom working two jobs, making minimum wage, she can't boss babe her way out of this. Right. Right? Like the whole thing, like the whole thing really relies on on. These wealthy people telling us we can do it too. I did it so you can do it too. But really, your success is based off of my labor. Mm. And that's the only way you succeed is by sucking women like me in. And not to say that I got sucked in, but women in my same predicament, my same situation. People who have economic oppression, right? Because you cannot hard work your way out of economic oppression. You can't hard work your way out of race and class and being a single mother and being a mother. You can't hustle hard out of that. 
really it's not about it's not really about the um like the pressure that it puts on women it's just it's faux feminism because it's not designed to uplift women like me it's designed to profit off of the hopes that i can be like that so then for you how do you then inspire women and including mothers including women of color to accomplish their professional entrepreneurial ambitions while still acknowledging all these elements of systemic racism or motherhood or single motherhood, you know, how are you trying to fix that? I, you know, I don't even think I'm trying to fix it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think like, I remember, um, I did something a couple of weeks ago and one of the questions that they asked me was, do you see yourself as a role model? And I'm like, no, I see myself as a possibility model. Mm. Right. Because what you see a lot of out there, especially in this boss babe culture is all this perfection. And I've got, you know, me and my Gucci bag, we made a million dollars in 30 minutes and da, 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 da. But they don't address all the, the things that they had to overcome in order to get there. All they say is I woke up at 4 a.m. and I work hard. Whereas I'm like, listen, girl, I'm an immigrant. I'm a college dropout. I'm a single mother. And obviously I'm a black woman. Right. So I have had to overcome all these obstacles in order to for you to see the person that I am today. Mm. So I think by me just being me and being transparent and being vulnerable and sharing my story, that that just allows other women to feel okay with who they are and what and what they have. Right. Right. And, And I think that's actually what I find most endearing about your social media presence is your authenticity like you're just having fun (laughs) but you are also willing to admit when you're having a tough time and that's just my observation because i recall a post where you said you know what i had a bad day i had a tough day my kid was sick and it was rough and i think it was just real because usually that self-help sphere is like yeah i was having a bad day then i motivated myself to kick ass and i had a good day yeah i manifested my way into a good day (laughs) (laughs) And so why is that important to you? That honesty of admitting, you know, hey, today sucked or hey, this is a big mountain to climb when you're in a space where people are genuinely looking to you for guidance? Um, you know, I think because yeah, as a black woman, um, especially growing up in Canada, I know what it's like to feel excluded. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, and whether it's done intentionally or not. Right. So. I think like I'm inclusive on purpose, Mm -hmm. but I'm not about to gloss over the fact that I'm a black woman. Right. Right. And so I purposely, I just speak up, (laughs) right. I just speak up because especially I don't see women that look like me speaking up. I don't see women that have been through the things that I've been through to, to speak up. And the only way, you know, it's possible to get through things is if somebody tells you so. And Mm -hmm. if they tell you so through a, you know, pretty glossed over filter, you're not likely to believe them. Right. Right. But if you, if you've seen me in my stories, I show up in my pajamas. I show up with my kid crying in the background. I show up in tears. I show up happy. I show, I show up as I am. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's what makes me relatable. And I'm, I'm actually here to be relatable. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll get into that in a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. But I guess that's my, my question is, did you feel like this space, again, women's empowerment, women's entrepreneurship, 
Did you feel like this space was kind of missing the nitty gritty details of how and acknowledging that everyone has unique challenges? Yeah, I think so. Because a lot of times, um, you know, they're just, they're just busy showing the highlights. Right. And, you know, the highlights are, of course, like it's the, that's the best thing that they want to show, but they're not showing the nights where, you know, their, their kid didn't sleep properly and now they're grumpy. And then they, that means it turned into a terrible meeting. And that means, you know, they didn't eat, you know, it just turns into a whole thing. And, and I think showing that makes people comfortable with their journey. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing that, um, you know, and I've been an entrepreneur for the past 16 years and I, I rarely have seen people really show the journey. They show when they get to the top of the mountain, but they didn't show how they had to get out of bed and put on their shoes. They didn't show those days where they had to go outside. Like I'm just comparing it to running a marathon, um, but they didn't show when they had to go outside and run in the rain. Mm-hmm. They just showed when they got to that finish line and then all the rewards that came after that. <laughs> I, I, that's great and all, but girl, I mean, I'm going to show you all the struggles that I went through in order to get to that finish line, in order to get to that top of the mountain. Who did you draw inspiration from? Whose journeys, struggles did you see that maybe changed your mindset or influenced your mindset? Honestly, no one. (laughs) And that's fair. (laughs) That's totally fair. Honestly, because I, I, I really didn't see it. Yeah. All I kept thinking was, wow, okay, well, that lady... Like anytime I did see anyone get to the top of the mountain, all I did was I would just, I, I would see right through it. I'd be like, okay, well, you know, you married well and your both your parents supported your whole business. You know, they gave you the loans, they gave you the this, they gave you the that. Mm-hmm. And so I just didn't, I've always been that person that always focused on my, on my own business. I mind my own business. Right. So I just, I just would, I just did me. I marched to the beat of my own drum. So there was any, there wasn't anyone in particular that I was watching that I drew inspiration from, but there was one woman that really inspired me to really speak out and be as I am. And that person was Bozema St. John or Bozema St. John. Sorry. No, Bozema St. John. I said it right. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you don't hear people saying their name out loud. So it's kind of tough, but, um, but she was someone who wasn't afraid to be herself in the corporate space. Okay. Right. So she's, uh, so for those of you who don't know who she is, she currently is the chief marketing officer at Netflix. She Mm. formerly was um, a chief marketing officer at Apple, at Uber. um, And so she's done some big things and she's just the, in her, listen, her Instagram handle is badass boss. (laughs) Right. So, and so when you go, when you see her, she's just unapologetically herself. And as a black woman, that is very hard to do in this society Mm -hmm. because the society tries to paint us as either, you know, angry black women, like they did for Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Whenever, you know, she tried to stand up for herself or was strong or whatever, they, they, they labeled her as an angry black woman. So that's something that follows us around, but, Bose was a woman that just wasn't afraid to be herself in corporate spaces. And that's really tough for a black woman. Right. Right. So if I had to say anyone, I would say her and probably Michelle Obama, because both of them stood up to so much scrutiny from society for just being who they are. And we've talked about this on the show a little bit in terms of systemic racist lenses that are put on different groups or even systemic sexist lenses that are put on certain groups. So it's the idea of you know, if it's a passionate woman, they are bossy or hysterical. If it's a passionate person of color, they're angry or unreasonable. 
Did you personally feel those pressures in your career, in your journey? Um, I want to, yeah, I would say that. I would say that. I know <laughs> I've, I've always tried to be, um, like, you know, Vivian means lively one. Mm -hmm. So I've always been sort of a lively person. And I've always been careful to not be angry because I didn't want to be painted as that angry black woman, right? But then you run the danger of being that, um, you know, that black woman that's always smiling and, and, you know, nothing's ever wrong. Right. When really there's a bunch of shit wrong. I'm just <laughs> choosing to be happy yeah. about it, right? But that doesn't mean that's my constant state of being, right? So yeah, there was pressure. There is that pressure to just sort of keep up. And then plus it doesn't help that, you know, as a first gen, a first gen Canadian, you know, there's that immigrant pressure. We have, you cannot make the white people mad. So you just need to, you know, my parents, when I was younger, especially my mom would be like, you need to tone it down mm -hmm. because we cannot make the white people angry. <laughs> right. You cannot, you know, you can't disrupt the status quo by being really who you are. So it's, it's been, it's been a bit of a tightrope, but honestly, after, you know, the, the other, the other pandemic that we went through, which was the, um, you know, the, the George Floyd and um, Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, we're their, still going through it. very public deaths. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, now it's like, I'm done walking on eggshells. You're yeah. going to get what I got. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess that brings up an interesting question is, do you think the culture has finally shifted? And I'm not saying it's over or the, you know, the battle's over, but do you think finally we're having these conversations and maybe it was that confluence of George Floyd and COVID and everything else where not just black people, but other people of color are finally able to voice their frustrations, voice double standards that they see in society and be a little more authentic, feel a little more confident in being authentic. Absolutely. You know, it's unfortunate that that's what it took. It had to take a, a global pandemic and people being videotaped dying. Mm -hmm. Right. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, it, this is the moment. Like this is, people are listening, you know, all this time they've been saying, I'm listening, I'm listening, but now they're act now they can see. But again, I'm just sad that that's what it took. I want to go back to some of your thoughts on entrepreneurship and success. You seem to be motivated by redefining what success looks like. So let's start with the current cultural template. What do you see as the stereotype of success in the culture? Well, you know, if you look, if you Google the word boss, you're going to find some stock photo of some white guy. <laughs> right? Sure. It's Chad. It's, yeah. it's Chad, right? He's the white man who uses his confidence to get opportunities. He has no business <laughs> doing, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's and the same thing with girl boss, right? It's the reason why they put the girl in front of the boss, because it's like, you don't picture women as bosses, right? Um, but, you know, since I'm a black woman, I'm the complete opposite mm -hmm. of that, right? And I also did it in a, you know, I, I got my success in such an unconventional way. Mm -hmm. So really, um, how I see and define success is, is just, it's through my own lens, right? So it's showing people that you can overcome obstacles. Um, you know, I may not have the same set of tools, you know, the system is rigged against me, uh, but I made it work for me, right? right? And I want to show people that success is what you make it, 
right? You don't have to do it the way Chad did it. You do it the way you want to do it and mm -hmm. define that for yourself. Yeah. And I think there almost seems to be two elements to this, right? Like the outcome of who we see as successful, but then the actual journey of like, what is success, right? And what does that mean for, for each individual? And I wonder if that's changing for people as they think about, you know, your salary not being the be-all, end-all. Thinking about yeah. things like autonomy or family life or, you know, work-life balance, quote-unquote. <laughs> yeah, we're really seeing that, right? <laughs> so how do you see it personally for yourself in terms of not the outcome of you being a Black woman, but what success looks like as as an individual and what makes you happy? Um, well, one of the things I quickly learned and, you know, anyone who's had success, especially monetarily, is that money doesn't solve, like money doesn't, isn't it? Right? right. So you have to have an underlying why as to why, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. And then that also sort of ladders up to your idea of what success is, right? So for me, Honestly, like my success is really just showing people that you don't have to be that typical, like you don't have to do the typical things in order to obtain that idea of success, mm -hmm. right? Like I, the other day, um, you know, I had um, a luxury brand reach out to me and funny thing, one of the first things I said was, wait, who, me? Are you sure? Because I didn't fit their demographic. You weren't thinking like Chad. I well, it's not that I wasn't thinking like Chad, <laughs> but I didn't think that brand saw me as Chad oh, material. Gotcha. Right. And so I purposely, of course, I said, well, what would Chad do? Chad would just go for it. So I said, absolutely, let's do it. But I had to do it on my terms. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't about to let them whitewash me or viv wash me. Right. So what does right. that, what does that mean? Your terms? And you don't have to get into the specifics, but just in general, like, um, like say for instance, um, you know, I wore Crocs, <laughs> <laughs> right. I wore Crocs and, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I asked that, um, you know, I listen, I'm, I'm an, I'm a daughter of an immigrant. I'm living vicariously. I'm living for her. I'm living out loud for her. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to express my gratitude for that. And I'm also a single mother. So I want people to know that, um, you know, although it should have been an obstacle, it's something I should have overcome. I, I not should have overcome that I, that I did overcome, but not that being a single mother is a thing that sort of ends, <laughs> right? Sure. It's just something that I managed. I managed yeah. and I'm still here. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the interesting thing. Again, going back to that podcast with, with Dr. Amanda Watson, she was looking at things from a sociological perspective. But that idea of you are almost expected now in, in society to be that boss babe, but then also to be that amazing mother. And we have these archetypes in our TV shows that shows these women, you know, doing it all. But that's not reality. And yet somehow we've accepted these archetypes, right? Right. Do you see that changing? Do you see, I mean, you're clearly doing that in terms of what you're sharing with your followers. Do you see that appetite for when it comes to mothers or women of color being like, you know what, we need representation that's not just about having a woman on TV or not just about having a black woman about on TV, but having that experience represented? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and especially because now we got time, right? <laughs> these past, these past 14 months, we're starting to realize, you know, 
all these, again, these, the filtered life that we've been seeing isn't real. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what is real? So people, and especially because we're, you know, we're doing a lot of physical distancing, people are craving realness to know, especially at this time that they're not the only one struggling. Right. Right. And so, and it's important to show struggle all across the board. Like, not only do I struggle because, oh my goodness, I live in my million dollar house and my maid didn't show up today. <laughs> um, but also, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm also an entrepreneur who is doing virtual school with a seven year old. So that means I can't get any work done in, in the day and I have to work now until one o'clock in the morning. Right. And I'm tired and I'm hangry and I want this to be over. And, I'm going to cry now. <laughs> that's real life though, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> like it or not, that's, that's the real. And, and I think that's what people, that's what resonates with people. People want to see that. Now I'm not saying go and spill your guts and tell, you know, be vulnerable every five seconds. That gets tiring, mm -hmm. but it doesn't hurt every once in a while to be vulnerable. One thing you brought up, and I, I saw this in a YouTube video of yours, you talked about how during this time, during COVID in particular, there have been a lot of quarantine coaches that have suddenly popped up. <laughs> and I'll, I'll admit to you, you know, there was a period in my life where I was a self-help junkie. I was reading everything self-help on a wide variety of different subtopics. And I just had a fascination with it. But as I got into it, I started to see like, oh, there are some people who clearly know what they're talking about. And then there are other people who are hucksters, they're hacks. Yep, yep. If you're in this time, and I think COVID has been an interesting time for a lot of people of self-reflection, maybe they wanna do something new and they're looking for direction. And it can be very difficult to navigate that space. How do you separate the hucksters and the hacks and the mm. multi-level marketing schemes from something that might actually be meaningful or set you on that right journey. Watch them. Like really watch them. Uh, you know, before you shell out, you know, four or five figures to, to, to a course or for a webinar or whatever the case may be, just watch them. Do they walk the walk? Do they talk the talk? Do they have other people who aren't their people agreeing with them? Hmm. Right? Are they supporting them? Are they saying yes? You you changed my life um, when you said that thing to me directly, as opposed to you said that thing on the stage, and uh, you know now my my I paid you three thousand dollars, and of course I'm going to say this stuff because I need to <laughs> I need to recoup my money, right? But right. really, really watch them and listen to what they say. How do they treat their people? How do they treat the people who who pay the money? Or the people who don't pay the money. That's more important. How do they treat the people hmm. they, that don't pay them any money? Do they provide value, right? Or is every, does everything have a, 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 a price tag attached to it? Right. Because if every single thing they do has a price tag in, uh, attached to it, that tells you they are not in it for um, to provide you value. They're there to just get rich. They're mm -hmm. there to profit off of your lack of awareness, right? Because you're not paying, you're not, you got, um, you got seduced by their marketing. Right. And and this is the question I wanted to ask you, and we'll get into Rachel Hollis in just a little bit, and you, you've already sort of answered it, but how important is it to be relatable? Because you've already kind of positioned yourself as a possibility, right? So people can look at you and, and go, yeah, you know, these things are possible, and maybe I can't relate to the success you've had so far, but how how do you become relatable, and why is that important? 
Well, you can relate to the fact that, you know, especially let's just say if you're a parent, if my kid doesn't sleep in his own bed, you can relate to the fact that I did not have a good night's sleep. And mm -hmm. if I didn't have a good night's sleep, that means I'm miserable all day. So that's, you can relate to that, right? Yeah. And when you show that type of stuff on, say, social media, that's sort of the point of the whole thing is to relate to people, right? It's called social media, right? Right. So yeah, it's cool. You can share wins and you can show, you know, you can share, you know, your, your latest new thing and how much money you got in the bank account and your Shopify dashboard. <laughs> but how about your L's? Yeah. What about, what about your losses? What about your imperfections? What about the rough days? Cause everyone has those, right? So I think it's really important to show both, right? Because if you think by showing only your highlights and, um, you know, all your wins to your audience or your community or whoever is looking for that connection, if you think that that's the way to do it, you're doing yourself a huge disservice, mm. right? So I always think of it as I'm looking to connect with human beings, not robots, <laughs> <laughs> right? So being relatable is hella important to me. I love that. And so let's get into it for, for people who missed it. There's this lifestyle guru, quote unquote. Oh, <laughs> That's how she identifies. You know, I'm trying to be neutral mm -hmm. here. So she identifies as a lifestyle guru, Rachel Hollis. And I think before the incident that recently happened, there was a lot about her that was a little troubling. She appropriated Maya Angelou's Still I Rise. There was accusations of plagiarism. But there was a lot of controversy around a TikTok that she put out where she rejected the idea of being relatable. And in the caption, she related herself to Harriet <laughs> Tubman, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Oprah Winfrey, Malala, and, and several others. And, and she was saying, you know, these women were unrelatable and I'm unrelatable and, and I, you know, I'm something you aspire to be or whatever. And so I just want you to explain it to me why that was so offensive. Was it the idea that she didn't want to be relatable? Was it this self-comparison to these icons, including women of color, who struggle she probably doesn't understand? Was it what she said in her TikTok? What was it that was so problematic? <laughs> what was so problematic about this woman was that she built her entire boss babe empire on being relatable okay so that's what's my that's what's really like are you girl are you serious like she had books the girl wash your face <laughs> girl stop apologizing like those book titles just scream i'm trying to be relatable mm -hmm. right she she talked about her struggles she she shares her kids you know and she did all that while making money okay so she was making so much money that she had her husband quit his cushy Disney exec job to join her on that journey. Okay. So the fact that she's now turning around and compare the, having the audacity to compare herself to Harriet Tubman, <laughs> to Malala, to Oprah Winfrey, to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like the, like, girl, are you crazy? <laughs> like, there's that, that's like, that's like comparing apples to friggin', I don't even know, to paper. Like, it's just, it's crazy. And then, you know, she had the audacity. She's been putting on this whole facade. She's been selling coaching and books based on this relatability, mm -hmm. right? The girl next door, right? The preacher's daughter. The woman with the mother of the mother with four kids. Oh my gosh. You know, 
So it's absolutely problematic. And the fact that, you know, but she's being called out is like, she's been, <laughs> it's like, this is the stuff that a lot of us, especially women of color, we've been saying, right? She built her back off the way and she's, and she's, you know, one of the things that drives me nuts is that she uses uh, her and a lot of people like her use a lot of uh, black vernacular, right? That, Hey girl, you go queen. Yes. Like all that stuff. So yeah, you're using that language to be relatable. <laughs> Right. And now you're having, you have the audacity to say that, um, you know, you're unrelatable AF and you're comparing yourself to Malala, who, you know, was, uh, you know, was shot in the face for trying to go to school. Like, really, girl? Like, you? <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, it just, like, just to think about it, just, you know. And then the fact during that same video, she refers to the woman who cleans her house as the woman who cleans her toilets. Right. And she kept referring to the woman who helps her, who helps her run her household as the woman who cleans her toilets twice a week. She kept saying that just the, just the fact that she fixed her mouth to dehumanize someone who was helping her run this empire. Cause if it weren't for that woman and she's a lovely woman, she said a lovely woman who helps me clean my toilets. <laughs> right. Like woman who, like it's just, <clears throat> listen, my brain is about to explode <laughs> about this one. She's problematic. Okay, so it absolutely was self-comparison. She was comparing herself for waking up at four o'clock in the morning and telling people to wash their face. And she's comparing it to Harriet Tubman, who helped free black slaves. <laughs> I got I got to calm down. Okay. <laughs> you see, do you see why I asked you that question in that way? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, literally, she's the person who profited off of being relatable. She profited off the working class women who follow her yeah. and then turned around and said she wanted to be nothing like them. Yeah. That's the, that's the definition of privilege right there. How dare you? You brought up a really interesting point in how she described her uh, uh, nanny housekeeper she did kept saying that that phrase, the woman who cleans my toilets, which you're right. It's, it's such a demeaning way to look at another human being <laughs> who is, like you said, it's managing helpful. your household. You know, they're part of that system that's, that's keeping you going and, and something that, uh, you know, a lot of women would wish they had help in the household doing household chores, right? And that's the thing. It's not like no one had a problem. Like, yeah, there was someone who, uh, who the whole reason why she created this video is because someone had a problem with her having someone coming to clean. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Really, that's not the problem, girl. No, no. The problem is, I think it was probably how sh she, she said it in such a condescending manner. Like, what do you mean? You don't have someone to come in and clean your house? No, girl, I'm too busy spending all my money on your freaking books and courses and webinars. <laughs> so no, I don't have a nanny. <laughs> I don't have a husband who has who quit a, a cushy uh, a Disney job. Right. Anyways, finish your question. I'm still angry. No, no, I'm, I'm letting you go. This is your time to unleash. <laughs> I just think that, you know, it, it we don't know the circumstances of the, the person who's cleaning her house. Right. Because that person, in theory, could potentially be a, you know, boss babe of their own. If it's their own company, if they're, you know, making a coin off cleaning overprivileged people's houses and managing their households, you know, that 
that person could also be a success. You know what I mean? Like I just exactly it was undercutting them away in a, in a way, and I'm only realizing it now because you're right. She kept saying the woman who cleans my toilets in this very demeaning way when you think that she's out there trying to empower other women. Exactly. You touched on a really interesting idea, and again, this has come up on the podcast as well. This idea of, hey girl, look sis, or particularly in entrepreneurship lingo, cool entrepreneurship lingo, hustle and grinding, like urban-esque sloganeering, which has really penetrated inspo culture, seems to have appropriated a ton from black culture. Do you see that as black culture going mainstream or the whitewashing of black culture? Hmm. <laughs> Great question. Um, I see it as whitewashing of black ideas or anyone's ideas for that matter. I mean, look at what happened to words like tribe and namaste, <laughs> right. right? Or even guru. Yeah. Right. These are words that are, that are from other cultures, you know, and, you know, even think about all the museums. There are whole museums of artifacts that colonizers, AKA <laughs> white people or white society have stolen from other cultures. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, when, when, you know, white women's claim to fame is doing black dances or using black vernacular. Yeah. It's definitely whitewashing, you know, black ideas. Absolutely. It's a, it's a story that's as old as time. Is there a way to incorporate, adopt those ideas? So someone who's a fan of yours, you know, maybe, maybe starts picking up some of your slogans and, and things that you say, you know, is there, <laughs> is there a way to do that where you're not appropriating it? Like, I guess maybe if you take the profit motive out of it. Well, no, it's not even, uh, you listen, I don't mind the profit, right? Because yeah. what it is, like my real problem with all this is that they're taking the vernacular, but they're not including the people who created this vernacular, mm. right? So for instance, I was invited, I was actually invited to a Rachel Hollis event when she had one here in Toronto. And I, honestly, I was invited as seasoning. So what does that mean? I, <laughs> so that means she they absolutely understand that their audience is white women middle-aged white women mm. they get that but all the you know all the inspo for their whole thing is black right so like when she walks out on stage she she comes out to beyonce right, right. she has a black dj spinning all the black music because they're not playing guns and roses <laughs> right they're not playing neil sadaka <laughs> right they're playing beyonce they're playing uh, uh, dmx Right. They're playing, you know, Lizzo. But what are you trying to say? Like Taylor Swift doesn't hit the same as Lizzo, right? <laughs> sure. But <laughs> that's a different mood. That's a different mood, right? Yeah. But um, you know, it's it's just listen, I always liken it to an accent. Right? If you feel like if you're saying, you go, girl, if you feel like you have to move your neck and move your hands and do all that to say it, don't say it. <laughs> Because you wouldn't be like, hey, what's the matter with you? You wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that, right? So if you can say, you go, girl, without adding the black scent, right. then by all means. But I'm not here. Let me just reiterate before I get blown up in my, my inboxes. I am not here to be the black vernacular police. Okay, that is not what I, that's not my intention. All I'm doing is you wanted to listen and learn, right? I'm just pointing out what makes me uncomfortable. 
And what makes me uncomfortable is you profiting off of the vernacular, whether it be black American vernacular, Caribbean vernacular, uh, uh, you know, African vernacular or anyone else's stuff, like any other culture. I'm uncomfortable with you profiting off of that, but not and also not including me. Right. Yeah. And I think that's it's a realm where a lot of people struggle with. Right. Because sometimes some people get criticized for, and I'm not, I'm not talking about Rachel Hollis, I'm just talking about regular people. They get criticized for, you know, appropriating something when it's really, I think, their appreciation for it. And I, but I think there is a fine line of whether you're being a caricature of something versus, I don't know, upholding something that you appreciate, right? Yeah, but right. It, but it's a, it can be tough for some people to understand that difference. <laughs> yeah, and Unfortunately. It's, like, it's, like the, it's like, would you put on a full Indian headdress and be okay with, you know what, actually, this is the wrong question, because there would be people who would be that naive to well, think that that's our okay. Pri- our prime minister, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> right, right? Yeah. Right, and he's a perfect example of a Chad, right? He just, yeah. He's <laughs> yeah, he's the Chad. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there is a fine line between appreciation and appropriation. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, you know, when it feels wrong, but then there's some people who don't know, they honestly don't know because they, no one's ever told them. Yeah. So now is the time. So when someone tells you that is not appropriate, listen to them because obviously we are the authority on what is appropriate, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you think it's okay to put on an Indian headdress and walk around with moccasins and be like, you know, oh my God, selfie, you know, with your Starbucks. That's not, no, girl, no, don't do that. Right. (laughs) Or go to a music festival with that. uh, Right. 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 (laughs) Not really paying tribute to the culture. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. So listen, so listen when we say we don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that distinction of, you know, you can say those words, but the idea of like putting on a black scent is an interesting way to divide that, right? Like, are you really going out of your way to, uh, to be a caricature, right? Right. Like, would you say that stuff to your mom? <laughs> would you say that to your grandma? Would you, are you willing to go to your corporate nine to five with this little black scent you got going on on TikTok? Are you willing to go to your nine to five and talk like that? <laughs> no, you weren't. You wouldn't. You, cause you wouldn't last a day in my shoes. Yeah. So stop trying to wear them. Just appreciate them. Just be like, girl, those are nice shoes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that so much. And I do, I do love the idea. And again, we're talking about the average person there, but you know, when we're talking about these lifestyle gurus, as they call themselves, or corporate leaders or whatever, I think there has to be that awareness of if you're going to appropriate a certain culture or a certain vernacular, are you even including the people of that <laughs> where it's where it originates from? Right, right. right. You, you had an incident recently where you were asked to go to a, a conference and you were supposed to be the, the token diverse person. But um, but they weren't going to pay you for it. Is this what what happened there? Uh, well, it's this this is huge event, a huge event um, where they asked me to participate earlier this year, and I agreed because it was um, it was an area that I wasn't familiar with. Mm-hmm. Right, so I was like, oh, I could get some exposure in this space. Um, and you know, as a black woman, I very well know when I'm being used as a token, as a diversity token, but mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. 
Only again, because I see, again, I see myself as a possibility model because what I know, and I don't know about you, but if I don't see myself in that setting, I will not go. I will not participate. Hmm. Right. So I purposely will allow myself to be that token so that people can, people who look like me or have the same unconventional background know, okay, I can go there too. Right. So cool. Fool me once, but you're not about to fool me twice. Right. So now <laughs> they reach out because of course I was a hit. Of course. Right. <laughs> I sat on a panel with, you know, some dry people and I came out there being Vivian. And so then they're like, we would love to have you at this event in Las Vegas. Da, da, da. And I remember when I asked them for compensation the first time, they said, you know, we don't compensate our speakers. I was like, that's okay, because I want to be in this space. I want to see what it's about. Mm -hmm. Now, the second time I'm like, okay, you're going to compensate me now because you already see what I can bring. Yeah. And I, I know you need me as a diversity token, but now you need to pay me. <laughs> well, no, we're not going to pay you because we don't normally attract uh, we normally attract, you know, execs and, you know, their companies sponsor them to come there. So girl, I am a small business entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You think I have money out coming out my butt to just be gallivanting <laughs> to your event to talk to people again for nothing and have to do a COVID test and quarantine and all that? No, ma'am. No. Yeah. No. Screw you. Pay me. Yeah. The expectation is interesting though, right? Like they just expected that you would say yes to it. I wonder if they would ask a white guy to come to fly out to Vegas <laughs> and speak for free. I, I really, I really would like to know, would they do that? Yeah. They probably wouldn't. <laughs> Certainly not someone that can draw the enthusiasm and attention that I think you, you were capable of drawing. 100. <laughs> <laughs> so Vivian, hey, listen, if someone is listening to this and they go, oh, this Vivian sounds amazing. I, I, I have fallen in love with her, just like Mo said. And, but maybe they're in a rut, you know, maybe they want to do something new. They want to invest in themselves. They want something that that's their own. What should they be asking themselves? What are the first steps to get on that authentic path to, to become successful? You need to, I would say you need to take stock in your abilities. Okay. So in order, the first step you need to take in order to be successful is take stock in what you can do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now to do this, you have to be really self-aware. Okay. Don't be like Chad where you're just like, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> like, and you're not even remotely qualified. No, seriously, take stock in what you're good at and what do you enjoy? What don't you enjoy? Mm -hmm. What do you suck at? Okay. Um, because this entrepreneurship thing isn't easy either. Mm -hmm. Right. I always say, you know, every other month I'm considering taking on a sugar daddy. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, so one of the first steps and I've been doing this, I've been a full time. I've been an entrepreneur for 16 years now. I've been a full time entrepreneur. Oh, this. Yeah. April is 11 years. So wow. over a decade. And it's still a roller coaster ride. Mm -hmm. Right. So you really and I and I lean like, you know, with my homegirl, Cheryl says, what I do is I lean on my strengths. Mm. Right. So I focus on what I can do and what my abilities are and my skill set. And that's what I work with. So whatever the first things you need to the first steps you need to take is take take stock of your abilities. I almost wonder, like in in, in this space and when we're talking about success and entrepreneurship and and balancing work life balance. When we talk about people of color, how important is it for us to do our own thing? Because, mm. you know, I, I have parents who are entrepreneurs. And I think, you know, if you talk to my dad, he sort of says it the same way where he's like, I knew that if I, in my dad's words, he would say, I knew that if I joined the corporate world, there was a ceiling for me. 
but I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to venture out on my own. And we're starting to see that. We're starting to see even the corporate world restructure quite a bit. You know, le- a lot less bureaucracies, a lot more contracting out for services. In, in your mind, how important is it that whether it's the black community or other communities, people of color, the LGBTQ community, start doing things on their own in terms of business? Um, well, we absolutely need that, right? We absolutely, like, you, you know, and especially if you're, you know, you're one of the first people to do something like that, mm-hmm. then you need to be that possibility model, right? Now, is entrepreneurship for everybody? Absolutely not. Sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> right? fair. But, yeah. but if it's something that is, is calling you, then I, you know, it doesn't hurt to try. But people, please do not quit your job. to pursue entrepreneurship don't do that do not do that yeah that's a good that's a good piece of advice i guess the 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 reason i ask is you know we are having these conversations about systemic racism particularly in the corporate world in in society in general and i i feel like we're headed in the right direction we are having the right conversations but the more people of color the more marginalized groups start making their own businesses, you'll almost start to see more change coming from that direction. And it's not to put on a burden on people. It's, it's almost to say that we should, we should be encouraging others to get into an entrepreneurship who want to, right? And there, there's a lot of people who might be in that big corporate structure who would be even better entrepreneurs, but need that guidance or need that, <laughs> that uh, yeah. encouragement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it is a daunting task to change systemic racism or even systemic sexism in any big corporate structure. But I mean, you've kind of proven that when you have talent, you have ambition, you're, gr- you're grinding hard, you're hustling, people take you seriously and they look at oh. you differently, right? And they look at success differently. Yeah, but you know, uh, same, same shit, different smell. Right. <laughs> I like to say, right? So all the systemic uh, racism, classism, sexism, um, genderism, whatever it is that exists in the, in, the, in the corporate space also exists in the entrepreneurship space, mm-hmm. right? So uh, don't think that, you know, the grass is greener on this side. It isn't necessarily, mm. right? But you, have, you do have more control over your circumstances, Right. So I would say, you know, go for it. And especially because I find that a lot of us, like I'm pretty sure with your dad, he probably created a business for his community. Correct. Yeah. He's, I mean, we still employ, uh, we're definitely punching above our weight in terms of employing people of color. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. Right. So a lot of our businesses reflect needs that aren't being met Mm -hmm. by society. Right. Um, so I would say absolutely start that business. Start it out as a side hustle though. Yeah. Right. Start it out as a side hustle. Absolutely. Yeah. Get used to that, you know, get used to burning the candle at both ends if you can. And then there's going to come a time when you can put your full ass into it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, you know, I always encourage people to at least try. If there's one thing you know, that you see that you'll see these interviews with people who, uh, you know, older people who are on their deathbeds who wish they would have tried. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would say every, you should give it a try. If it, if it scratches, I mean, if it itches, then scratch it. <laughs> I love that. Vivian, this was a treat. I appreciate your time. 
you're one of those few guests where, again, I ventured outside of BC because I really wanted to talk to you. Because when I saw your content and when I learned a little bit about you, I was just like, I need to talk to this woman. I need to get some of those Vivian vibes. And I just want to, I just want to say that I appreciate your time. As we wrap up here, what is your call to action to the listener? My call to action to the listener is I would say just just harness, just get that big Viv energy. And it, it could be big Mo energy, right? Just be the best person, the best possible version of you that you could possibly be because the world needs more of that. We're done with these copycats and carbon copies and no, be you, warts and all, right? <laughs> so just big Viv energy, everything big Viv energy. I love it. Vivian, you're a gem. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. My pleasure. People, what a show. A little something different, but she is the real deal. Hailing from Toronto, she is a successful entrepreneur, public speaker, and business coach. Find her on Instagram, of course. She is Vivian K. And I am Mo Amir, telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. folks, I'm Mo Amir, this is CKNW, and this is your Band Color Moment. Okay, smile, music. My name is Mo Amir, and I'm running for the mayor of Vancouver. Vancouver is the best. I love it, except it sucks now, thanks to City Hall. Gross. It's time for City Hall to work for the people, not the deep state ideologue fat cats who divide us with red tape and trash collection. That's why I need your support, well, your money, because the election is in 18 months, and I will solve the big problems with the shiny buzzwords and empty promises that you deserve. Because I have a savior complex, fueled by dirty talk from real estate tycoons, you know, the people who really run this city, like the yoga guy who shames women's bodies after becoming a billionaire off of them. Anywho, don't you hate taxes? Well, I have a proven track record of leadership and teamwork, for bold ideas with bold vision, for a bold boldness with a holistic vision that's bold and green, but not capital G green, to go back to the basics with forward thinking innovation. So let's shake up City Hall together. Let's come together, unless you're poor, to do politics in a new bold way, to get us back on the right track. Vancouver, 400 square foot rentals, million dollar NFT art installations. Doesn't that sound cool, Vancouver? I'm just like Brad West. You like him, right? I swear, I'm just like Brad West, but for Vancouver. So let's move forward for real change to the way things used to be. Neighborhoods for families, small businesses, Ryan Reynolds. So join me, Mo Amir, by giving me money for a Vancouver that works for everyone, but mostly my rich friends. This has been your Van Color Moment with Mo Amir on 980 CKNW. I'm Mo Amir and I approve this message.